Hello and welcome to Pointcast, the podcast where we talk to active voters, usually, about the issues that matter most to them and encourage legislators to not only listen, but to act on what they hear. But today we're talking to Erica Helm, who has a philosophy around not voting. We're going to get into that a little bit. But before we do that, Erica, first of all, welcome uh, to to the podcast. And uh, secondly, let's learn a little bit more about you before we just jump right into why you've decided that voting is just not for you. Mm-hmm. I had mentioned that I've never been one to vote, even though I know it's a privilege. And I grew up in a family where my mother and my father and everyone around me voted. I just never took the stance to want to go and vote. And partly that is because I see a judicial system that is mostly not fair. And so I don't want to be responsible for voting someone in an office who may not do justice to the American people or even myself. So um, that would weigh heavy on my shoulders if I voted someone in office and they just totally, you know, just discredited the American people, or they just totally did a disservice to the American people. So I choose not to vote. I voice my opinion to those that are around me. And sometimes my voice can make a difference, but I just leave the voters to people that have a a passion to vote. So how does not voting then work in the sense that you don't vote because you don't wanna mistakenly vote someone in? How does your philosophy around not voting then, how is that helping the American populace or bringing it closer to home, your community or your family? Well, like I said, you know, um, there's a large population of voters out there. Mm -hmm. And um, I know we may sound selfish. I just don't feel like it's a responsibility of mine. Had it, we, lived in a different world where I knew that justice is true justice because without truth, you can't have justice. I mean, I've seen things happen in this country um, where, especially in the judicial system, where you've seen people go to jail or prison for life for crimes that they didn't commit. And, um, and it's based on you know someone else's opinion or someone may have gotten a life sentence that they just didn't deserve because of a certain person that was voted into a certain position. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> the stance that that's just not going to be me, let that be else. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, like I said, it's, it's probably selfish because yes, somebody does have to vote. Somebody does have to do it, but um, that's just what this country is about. America mm-hmm. is the land of the free. And so mm-hmm. that's just the, my choice and my stance that I take on it. And that is your right. You are, you know, land of the free. That is absolutely your <laughs> right to take the stance to, hey, I don't want to vote. I was just wondering what type of environment would have to exist for you to want to vote. And you basically explain that. I want to switch a little bit. I want to pivot because you brought up the justice system. I want to talk about the 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 justice system what about the justice system uh you'd like to see change and what are some other issues that are close to your heart that you you do want um you want elected officials and maybe other voters to kind of take notice of yes 
Well, for one, uh, police brutality, and you know, we've seen a lot of that, um, especially in this year, 2020. And let me just say this, that I believe that 2020 is marked for the year of clear vision and a divine disruption and the year of truth. So you're just seeing people, you know, take a stance in truth, whether it be um, what they whatever they believe in, they're taking a stance for tr truth. So in the terms of police brutality, I was thinking about how on a simple traffic stop that a person can end up being beat, possibly even to death, and lose their life just on a general traffic stop. And it just, you know, it turns into this whole um, adrenaline rush for the person that's being stopped and for the cop. I was thinking, I said, man, what if, is there a way that the cop and the person that's being stopped can have less contact? Because when they come in contact with each other, that's when the problem starts. So I can already see that a policeman, when he's walking up on a car of a person that's in a car, you don't know who they are, you don't know what they have on them, he's already got some kind of anxiety, possibly maybe some adrenaline is already starting to pump, which is already gonna probably pump some fear in him already. Uh -huh. Same thing with the person driving the car, because of what they're seeing happening in the world with police brutality, they're already on guard, right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and afraid for their lives. And so now you got two people that are got this emotions that are a little bit heightened. And then all of a sudden it can just turn into uh, the, the adrenaline getting out of control. And then now you've got uh, a tussle. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if there's a way that maybe you know, the cop can do everything from the car. And then when it's, if with the person needs to get out of the car for whatever reason to show their ID to, to do whatever, let them get out, let the cop stay in the car. The person gets out of the car, comes up with it, comes out with their hands up, lay all of their credentials possibly on the back of their trunk and, and stay in the cop's vision. The cop never gets out of the car. He stays there unless there needs to be arrest made and then there needs to be backup. But just so that we keep um, that our citizens and our police officers more safe. And then one other thing I wanted to say about, and, and I'm starting to see more of this where you, a cop pulls you over on the side of the road. I don't think that a person should be pulled over on the side of the highway. It's too dangerous. Uh -huh. I think there should be a thing in place where a person, when, when a cop turns his light on behind you, that you are to turn on your flashers to acknowledge, hey, I see you, I'm turning on my flashers, I see you, but let me get to a safe place for my protection and yours. So I'm in maybe pull over into a parking lot uh, of, a, of a grocery store or some type of established, but somewhere where I'm off the road, but that I'm not on the road and possibly can get hit by another driver. Wow. Those, so you, you've spent some time thinking this through. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen people lose their lives 
being pulled over on the side of the road. And it happened to me um, when I got pulled over. I was going to ask you if there was a personal connection because you seem to have thought this out. What was your experience like when you got pulled over? Well, I was basically, thank God, I was just in a residential neighborhood going from point A to point B in a short distance, probably from the store back home. And I think the cop told me that I was speeding. So he wanted me, of course, to stop. Basically, it would have been a two lane street and it would have been basically in the middle of the road. So I did just that. Not that this was probably about, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh-huh. And so I did just that. I slowed down. I slowed down to probably like 10 miles an hour as uh-huh. opposed to a 35. Uh-huh. So, and then I put my flashers on. So that uh-huh. lets you know that I'm not trying to get away from you. I, I'm acknowledging you. And uh-huh. I just, um, I just drove for about another maybe mile till I saw where I can pull into like a, um, I think it was a business park. And I pulled in there and waited for the cop to come. And I always try to make sure that my hands are in a place where they're visible. I try to maintain my composure so that I'm not nervous and making them nervous. So you did feel nervous, though. You did feel something. Is that what you Um, I mean, probably. I probably felt a little nervous because um, after his conversation with me, because he's he started to ask me, where was I going? And to imply that I don't belong in this neighborhood. I see, I see. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that might make a person very nervous, especially if you're in your, com- your own common ground, you're in your neighborhood. I'm in my how, neighborhood. How did, how did this progress? What what was what what happened next? What was the conclusion of this encounter? So I was offended because I'm in my neighborhood. It's an African American cop, and he's asking me, "What are, where are you going? What are you doing in this neighborhood?" And I'm like, "What do you mean? Where am I going? First of all, why did you stop me? That's what we need to talk about." Not where I'm going. That's none of your business. I said, but I, what I want to know is why you stopped me. And what makes you think I don't have a right to be in this neighborhood? Because when you look at my license, you'll see my address. I live here. Mm-hmm. And so he proceeded to tell me, you know, I think he said I was speeding. Well, that's a good point, though. Why didn't he even look at your license to check the address to before saying, yeah, before making that comment? Yeah. So it it seems as though he already had a chain of thought. Yeah. From the point time of pulling you over, where you having a legitimate license or insurance, whatever, really didn't matter because you looked like you didn't belong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So how did the how did the encounter end? Did you get a ticket? So. I'm trying to remember if he even wrote me a ticket. I actually, I don't recall, mm-hmm. but I mean, from there, the, the conversation was cordial because he realized he wasn't dealing with someone that was ignorant, that didn't know the law, and that was not going to just take anything that you're saying to me, especially if I'm in the right. Mm-hmm. So I don't recall if I got a ticket or not, but there was not a terrible outcome. We had no contact with each other. 
you know, there was no disrespect. It was just a matter of fact, you know. Okay. And that's led to your whole idea and your thinking around reducing the contact between the drivers and the police officers to perhaps interrupt that thought process they have yeah. of, you know, you know, they have a certain presumption. But isn't that what policing is? Well, you know, and that's the thing, you know, they are police officers and so they're put in place to police, you know, the communities. And so we are at their mercy, you know, so to speak. But um, the police brutality has gotten out of hand and I'm just wondering what kind of evaluation through these, do these policemen go through to even become um, an officer, and I would like to see more, um, I would like them to go, the powers that be, to go more into their background and find out how do they process anger? How do, how do you process anger and fear and anxiety? We need to, I, if I'm hiring you, I need to know that, because if you don't know how to handle that properly, then the rate of police brutality and killing innocent people could potentially go up and get out of hand, way out of hand, in which it already is, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it already is. So, um, and then, you know, and then to check in with them, because if you are a cop that's out on the beat and you constantly have to see people being murder or you're constantly having to be on edge because you don't know of, of the situation that you're going to walk into you have to be constantly checked in with that officer and they have to be constantly trained because there's a thing called post-traumatic stress disorder mm. and so how do we know that some of these cops that have been on the beat for a while are not dealing with that and then one day they just snap and kill someone Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what happened with uh, George Floyd? You know, that's, that's a very, very, very good question. And probably, I would say, within the last um, three or four years, I recently gave my life over to the Lord. And I, I walk a different life looking at the world through a different lens, through a different set of eyes. Um, of course, when that incident happened, in what we first saw on the video, we didn't have all the facts. But from what we did see, we saw what we thought or what we feel is an injustice. And of course, we live in a world where innocent until proven guilty. We don't know what the outcome is going to be, the fate of Officer Chauvin. But me being of African American, of African descent, an African American woman, I could identify with the pain that I felt being an African American woman, seeing a white cop put his knee on the neck of a black man and him begging to breathe for his life. 
And it infuriated me and upset me just like everyone else and even people of, that are not of color. And so I thought about it for a few days and just pondered on it. And all of a sudden, I started to have a change of heart towards the officer. God caused me to have a change of heart towards the officer. And what I mean by that is to look at him through the eyes of God. I don't know what was going on through, what was going through his mind. I don't know his past or what have you. It's not my place to judge. But what I do know is that where there is hate, there is no love. And hate can cause a person to murder, to kill, to take someone's life. Mm -hmm. God caused me to look at not only the loss that George Floyd and his family has lost, but also the loss of Derek Chauvin because of hate. Mm -hmm. And he caused me to go into prayer to pray for him to be able to repent so that he may be forgiven, so that he may be saved and have eternal life. And that's where I had to put my focus and my lens as far as that situation is concerned. Mm -hmm. So what will happen to Derek Chauvin, I don't know, but I do believe that this thing that's between racism that's going on between whites, blacks, it's a generational thing. There's a lot of hurt. Hurt is the other side of anger. Anger is the other side of hurt. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hurt going on. But if we don't deal with the root cause of the problem, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. branches, the trees will still grow. If you were to encounter Derek Chauvin, before any of this happened and you were the one who got pulled over, how would you have encountered this person who may not have the spiritual lens that you see through? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and it goes back to how, what's ingrained in a person um, because you have people that are kind, you have people that are mean. And we know that racism is not a thing of love, it's a thing of hate. And so some people are raised in a loving family and some people are not. Um, so in my case, I was raised in a loving family. I, like I say, I don't know Derek Chauvin's background, but based on how, from what I saw with the different videos and how that situation went down knowing me because my demeanor is different from george floyd's uh from what i've what i've seen and heard it would just be a dial style very meek very cooperative uh person because you have to use wisdom when you are in a disadvantaged situation he was in a disadvantaged situation but how is that fair when you're dealing with, when we go back to the original part of the discussion about justice, mm -hmm. where's the justice in that? 
Well, that's the thing. And that's what I'm saying. Um, it's, we're, we don't live in a world that's, um, you know, well, justice is fair. It, it's not a fair judicial system. That's you know, what I was saying in the beginning. Uh -huh. So when you encounter anyone that is a stranger, they are a stranger. They are just that. You don't know what and who you're dealing with. Unless you've had some kind of training on how to um, recognize certain characteristics in a person, um, you can be easily fooled who you're dealing with. Henceforth, mm -hmm. that's why we end up having predators that, you know, prey right, on right. different people. Right. So, right. but mm -hmm. this is just me and my opinion based on how I was raised. I'm, if I know I'm at a disadvantage and I'm in a neighborhood where there are cops who don't care about black people and I'm black and I know that anything with that cop or they're known to pop off easily with someone of my color, I am going to be more than more than cooperative. That doesn't mean it's going to turn out good. It, it, here's the thing that God started to cause me to see is really hard hard to make an opinion on something that you don't have all the facts. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of things that there's some things that we saw uh -huh. and we had an angle, you know, because w when we first saw the video, we only saw Chauvin, we didn't see the other two officers. Uh -huh. um, and then we started hearing other stories about them working together at the nightclub or what have you. Uh -huh. But it's hearsay. Uh -huh. We don't have, you know, the firsthand knowledge of what really happened. Only George Floyd and Derek Chauvin would really know that. And George Floyd is not here. So um, I just know that I, God causes me to look at things through a different set of lens. And it's usually not the way how the world would see it. And I have to bring this up too. I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing this divide even between with all of the, the protests that are going on. There's some people angry about the church or believers not being angrier about what has gone on or not choosing the side of people like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, Rayshard Brooks or others who have been killed and, and, and there has been no uh, conclusion, no satisfactory conclusion mm -hmm. to, to those cases. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to those who think that people of faith just don't get it? Mm, well, <laughs> we live in a different world from probably when I grew up, when you grew up. It's different. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas people nowadays, millennials especially, they have a different mindset than my parents, my parents' parents, and even me. They have a different mindset on things. They're more liberal, so to speak doesn't necessarily mean it's right and some things aren't right and some things are wrong and some things is kind of like okay it's it's your opinion it's your life you know live how you choose uh -huh. and that's why i was saying that in the beginning that this year i believe is the year of truth and it being a divine di disruption that is the year of truth it's like a line of demarcation uh -huh. where do you stand uh -huh. and where you stand during this time is going to carry you for the rest of your life, what you do during this time. And so, um, um, 
it's just it's 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 a totally different mindset and you're dealing with we're dealing with a generation where you know the, the baby boomers and you know the older generation they are they look at the facts and they go with what's true not in this, and and the millennials choose to go with not necessarily not necessarily what's right but what feels good have you been challenged by others that have differences in opinions from from your own and have they presented a similar a similar sort of argument because i've interviewed some folks like yourself who mm-hmm. are it's not so much trying to stay impartial but they one man said he's trying to maintain his god perspective uh-huh. that was how he called it yeah. um and i think sometimes they feel challenged because at the end of the day, as far as George Floyd was concerned, they actually did some see someone die. So there was clarity there, regardless of backgrounds. You, if someone were shot in the street and you saw them shot in the street, you saw somebody get shot in the street. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't necessarily need to know anything else other than, I saw someone get shot in the street, let's get help for that person. Mm-hmm. But, and as far as what leads up to that, you know, as far as investigating what leads up to that, that probably leads into your point about understanding more of the background, the facts and that sort of thing. But you're processing it differently than someone who might has a worldview. So if you come at it with a God view, and I hate to say versus a worldview, (laughs) especially in a democracy, how do you overcome that personally? Do you, what do you say or don't say? when you have those conversations? It has to be based on truth, meaning that you have to look at a situation for the truth, for what it is on all sides, no matter how it looks to someone else, you have to stand for truth at the end of the day so that you have a clear conscience and you know that you've made a fair judgment about it Mm -hmm. um what good does it do if you have an opinion based on something that's not true what's the point it's no point so you have for me i have to process things through those eyes when i see something i have to say okay i need the full story in order to make an opinion Mm-hmm. Because well, uh, my opinion has to be based on the facts, so that I can give my uh, my tr- my my opinion, and that my opinion is based on truth and not just fluff. Right. Speaking on that, we're going to close it out here in a few seconds. But before we do, I wanted to get your opinion on the upcoming election this November. If you were to vote for a president. <laughs> you're not going to get off that easily. If you were to vote for someone to be the, the president of the United States, who would you vote for and why? You know, to be honest with you, I don't really follow politicians. I can tell you that um, I don't know. You don't know? I really don't know. I, I'd have to, if I had to, if I was forced to, then I would have to go and do the research and then, you know, pick the best candidate that I would believe that would represent the American people. Mm-hmm. But honestly, 
I don't even get into it. Okay. I don't okay. even watch the, watch the Democratic Republican races. None of that. I don't do it at all. <laughs> well, that is the ease of not voting, not having to worry about <laughs> who's running. Okay, well, on that, we'll let that be the last word. Erica, thank you so much for sharing. This has been an unorthodox show for us, talking about not voting and the reasons why and your philosophy around that. I appreciate you being so transparent and authentic um, in, in that and also sharing and talking about all the other issues that are important to you. Um, for those uh, of you like Erica who have the same or similar opinions, please reach out to us on our Facebook page so that we know that you are there and so that others will know, uh, like Erica herself. If you have an opposing opinion or view, please share those uh, opinions as well. We want to set a table for all American voices to be heard. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Eliac Productions, for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank you again, Erica, for being our guest today. And thank you all, our listeners, who make this show worthwhile. Peace to all. Thank you.